Read the Bible every day so you'll be full of faith. Welcome you to join Bible Links to read the entire Bible in two years. I believe God will bless you, He will lift you up, and your life will never be the same. The following is the English translation of Pastor Moen Lu's teaching on the book of Numbers, chapters 1-2, to translated by Bryson. Read the Bible every day so you will be full of faith. Now we are entering into the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers recounts the journey of the Israelites from the Mount Sinai through the wilderness and how they follow step by step God's promises and guidance into the promised land of Canaan. It's a book of movement, a record of how God led them to understand His ways. The book of Exodus tells us how to break away from slavery and in the wilderness we cultivate an intimate relationship with God. Leviticus tells us we are consecrated about holy versus unholy things, clean and unclean things, and how to live in God's holy presence. Now the book of Numbers tells us how to understand the way God leads and guides us step by step on the road to the promised land of Canaan. So, dear brothers and sisters, one crucial aspect of reading the book of Numbers is you need to understand God's actions. You can see them, you can hear them. So why do Christians today need to read the book of Numbers? After I accepted Christ and was baptized, I wanted to learn to live with God to enjoy the joy of salvation. But there's a road I must walk, which is to bear the cross of the Lord and walk on the glorious path toward the eternal new Jerusalem. You must know that out of these 600,000 men, plus their wives and children, who they numbered a total of about 2 million people, but only two of them entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. So this book records many of their failures, reminding us about what situations people or even our, ourselves will fail, complain, and also disobey. So the book of Numbers is very precious to Christians today. As you read Numbers 1 and 2 today, remind yourself, God, guide me. The fallings, weaknesses, disobedience, rebellion in Numbers, which resulted in them not being able to enter the promised land of Canaan. God, remind me and help me not to do these things again. I want to enter your rest and your glory. As Christians, if we want to walk the path of life well, we should look closely at the book of Numbers. So we are looking forward to going through the entire book of Numbers, starting from the first chapter to the end of the book. As we do this, in our lives, we can walk on the path to the promised New Jerusalem and the promised land of Canaan God has for us, so that we are able to gain the inheritance that belongs to us. Let's take a look at Numbers chapters 1 and 2, starting from chapter 1. From verse 1 to verse 3, you will find that the time is the first day of the second month of the second year. In fact, chapters 1 to 6 of the book of Numbers are about events that occurred later. Chapters 7 to 9 happened earlier. So when we read chapters 7 to 9 later, you will think, didn't these things already happen before? Why talk about chapters 1 to 6 first? Because before departure, God had an important lesson to teach the people. So from chapters 1 to 6, it's the preparation before departure. You must know what preparations we need to make. Many Christians after baptism just wait for what's next. They attend church gatherings, participate in some serving. They just think that, oh, this Christian life is just enough. But before we walk this path of life, how to help a newly converted person walk correctly is closely related to chapters 1 to 6 of the book of Numbers. Let's take a look at the first point, verses 1 to 3. It reminds us, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head. 
by families and clans. From 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company. In fact, at this time, the Israelites had been at the foot of Mount Sinai for over a year. It's been over a year since they left Egypt. It had been over a year and the tabernacle had also been erected for over a month. Now they were getting ready to set out. But before they set out, they had to take a census of the people, and this involved three important things. The first thing is to find out the number of people in each family and clan. This tells us that the person being counted must be a son. He must have the status of a son. He must be an heir. He must be included in this genealogy. So before we set out today, make sure you are certain about your core identity. Why do we need to read the book of Numbers? It's because in the tabernacle, we have a beautiful enjoyment with God. In Exodus, we brought many possessions and blessings. I can walk with God, share his grace, and understand his heart. In the tabernacle, all my sin is removed. It is so wonderful. But these two abundances must enable us to face warfare. Christians must understand warfare. Otherwise, your possessions will be taken away, your life will be taken away, your blessings will be taken away. So firstly, you must recognize your core identity. I am a son in Christ. You must know that you have a clan, you have a family, you have a number of people. So you have to know about that the status as a son is very important. Secondly, above 20 years old. Above 20 means my life must be mature. There's no upper limit to this. It means from the moment I mature and grow up, I must clearly know that my life must mature for it to be counted. My life isn't mixed up and muddled. Someone unclear about their life's growth cannot be counted by God, stepping onto this path of life. So as a Christian, your life cannot remain stagnant. It's not just about accepting the Lord and being okay. No, after accepting the Lord, I must ask whether my life has changed, whether it's growing and maturing. Do I understand God's will better this year than last year? Is my resolve to serve Him even more firm? Is my commitment to the Lord firmer? Not because of events or circumstances that you are doubting, complaining, and blaming. Remember this. Above 20, tell yourself that my life must mature. In 2024, you must now tell yourself, I have read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And now I'm reading Numbers. Lord, I'm ready to grow and mature. Third, to be able to go out to warfare means you have to be ready to fight. A person ready for battle must understand clearly, I'm not fighting in the flesh, but in the spirit. Therefore, as warriors of Christ, we must learn the tactics, strategies, and awareness of spiritual warfare. Christians must be cautious because we have the flesh, we have our old selves, and we have natural tendencies. If you haven't learned how to engage in spiritual warfare, Know that all your reactions, whether to situations, people, work, or anything you encounter in life, whether it's success or failure, weakness or strength, will all be driven by your old self, your fleshly desires. If you don't understand spiritual warfare, you will surely be defeated in every battle. You must learn that even after the age of 20, when you're still able to go out to battle, you need to know that the battle is a spiritual one. From verse 4 to verse 16, it reminds us that in the process of warfare, we are sons. Let's first understand what it means to be sons. From verse 4 to verse 16, you'll notice many names listed. Don't list them. Read these names carefully. These 12 names are recorded. All these names of sons are recorded, and among these 12 names, their father's names are also recorded. So, among these 24 names, if we understand a little bit of the original Hebrew text, you'll see that these names are related to God.
When you read L, for example, in verse 5, the L in Elizer, the L in Shelumiel, the L in Nethanel, the the L in Eliab. Just by reading these letters L, you know that these names are related to God. And the 70 names of Jacob, as recorded in Exodus, there aren't many names with L. But as we go through the process, their journey from Exodus, you'll find that there are many more names with L. The presence of God's name among these names indicates breakthroughs and growth in people's lives during the Exodus. So today we must understand that our names are recorded by God. Our names may have been changed by God, and even our names may contain elements of God. Abram was changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel. Many of their original names included the vowel of God's name, the element of God's name, and their names were changed. The names of these individuals today are changed with the name of God within them. So, pray for your own name. Lord, may my name be recorded, that my name would have the elements of God. My name is listed among the names of sons, and this lineage in this clan listed within this family tree. Pray for your name, and even pray for the names of your children, presenting them before God. Lord, may your heavenly nature enter into our names. Change my name. Give us a new name. Let my name contain your elements. If your child is yet to be born, even in naming them, include elements of God. You'll know that a person's name with elements of God will always be able to walk on the path God has arranged for us. Choose a new name for yourself today and say, Good Lord, grant me a new name with parts of you. Reveal to me. It could be joy, healing, hope, vision, faith, endurance, your joy, your perseverance, your humor, any attribute of yours. Put it in our name. Secondly, from verse 17 to verse 19, it tells them to, on the first day of the second month, assemble the whole congregation together, who registered themselves by clan, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head. So what does this mean? It's not about telling your story. It's not about your birth lineage. But in the original Hebrew text, it's about being meticulously registered and recorded. What does this mean? You must understand clearly that in your life, every time God works, you must listen carefully. From the time we believed in the Lord until now, sometimes we tend to overlook every stage of God's work in our lives. Sometimes when I pray to God, make me healed, you, you should record it. Sometimes in my difficulty, I pray to God and God helps me break through. Record it. Note down the month and year of my breakthrough. Sometimes in my extreme joy, God guards my steps preventing me from leading towards the world, towards lust, or towards the bondage of money. Record all of these. This is called speaking about your genealogy from above 20 years old. Meaning, in my life, there is a record of God's work. You must understand that in every stage of our lives, every work of God, write your own spiritual diary. Record every work of God in our lives, every response to prayer. Even in our lives, whether it's God delaying my prayer or even rejecting my prayer, record those times. You'll find out why God refuses this matter. It might be because I forgot to ask. Why God delays my prayer, it might be because He wants me to, through my experience, grow my faith. Why does He answer right away? Maybe He wants me to increase the faith of those around me. Give yourself a record of spiritual experiences. It's not too difficult. Maybe it's just a few months, a few days, God responded to my prayer. I prayed for someone's salvation, and God answered me on this month or day. 
these things will help you. You'll be able to recount each experience of God's work in your life. When you go out to preach the gospel, when you testify, even if you're feeling very down today, very weak, it seems like your prayers are not being heard and you're walking in the valley of life. Look back on these. You'll find that in every difficulty in your life, God has never been absent. Your faith can stand firm and you won't start to doubt because of some things, whether God exists, whether God dislikes me now, whether I've offended God, whether God doesn't want me anymore, whether God is treating me unfairly. Your past spiritual experiences as a person over 20 years old, your life has matured to a point where you can look back at your past history, even if I'm now at the lowest point in my life. Inside me, there is still a firm belief that God has never left me. God still hears my prayers. This is a sign of a mature 20-year-old person. This kind of person can go to battle. If I've been doubting, worrying, fearing, if I've been suspecting, thinking, oh, maybe God doesn't like me, why isn't God listening to my prayers? Maybe God doesn't exist anymore. That doubt, suspicion, distrust towards God, worries, always thinking what God seems to be treating me unfairly. When these thoughts of Satan, the evil one, enter into us, for people over 20 years old, you can resist. You can withstand because you look at your past life history. You know that in every step of your life, God has never been absent. This is called people over 20 years old being able to go into battle. There's no upper limit to this. So, God's work in our life won't stop. It's not like at 50 years old you retire or 60 years old you retire. No, it continues until we reach our eternal new heavens and new earth. God still works in us. We are completely one with God in the new heavens and earth until eternity. God is still working in us. This is our hope for eternity. Such individuals, people over 20 years old, are able to go to battle. Otherwise, when Satan the evil one blows on you, you'll just fall immediately. Whether it's doubts, weaknesses, worries, lack of money, lack of health, sickness, and so on, you'll fall. Such people won't be able to go to battle. From verse 20 to verse 46, you'll find many people counted. Many people who can go to battle. Among the 12 tribes, they are counted. Look, in verse 46, how many people are counted? 603,550 men who are able to go to battle. So these people know how to go to battle. So today you need to pray to God and say, Lord, help me. I know I have the identity of a son. Lord, help me. I want to grow, to mature to the age of 20 and above. Thirdly, Lord, let my hands, let my heart be able to rise up to battle for you. I can be counted. My name is recorded. I am among the 603,550 names. These are the records of the Jewish people, the Israelites at that time. Today in the kingdom of God, I also want to be recorded. I am able to go to battle. So Lord, teach me the strategy of warfare. What does it mean to have power before you to be able to break through the strong enemies, to see through the schemes of the attacks of the enemies? I can see through those who block people from knowing God, those who hinder people from reaching their highest positions. I can break through all of these to win back their hearts, all their thoughts and ideas, and make them submit to Christ. Pray to God for this, that I may be able to rise up to battle. I can stand firm. From verse 47 to 53, there is one tribe that is not counted like this. This tribe is called the Levites. We will see this in chapters 3 and 4. Why can't this tribe be counted? Because this tribe belongs exclusively to God, and the way this tribe belongs is a bit special. Some ancestral families are not counted, and some ancestral families have to have their names recorded. 
We will talk about this in chapters 3 and 4. The function of the Levites is very important. They create a distance between the people and the tabernacle. The special thing about this tribe is they know how to help people relate to God. They can help people have a reverence for God because God wants to be holy among those who approach Him. He wants to manifest His glory before the people so that when God's righteousness is manifested in His holiness, it will not cause God's wrath or judgment to come because of the ignorance and sins of the people and so that He will be able to lead the people. So these type of people are called the Levites. We need to pray and say, Lord, give me a mindset like that of the Levites. You also call me to this position. Today, perhaps my family members are not yet saved. Perhaps I have some friends who come to church. They want to know God. Maybe in the church, I may be shepherding some people, helping them. They may not know much about the true word of God. I have a responsibility. How do I guide them? Help them to have a reverence for God? How do I shepherd them? Even how do I exhort them to live before God? To help this person not to have an arrogant or contemptuous attitude towards God, or to take grace lightly. This is the important work of a Levite. We will see this very clearly in chapters 3 and 4. So you can pray for yourself. Lord, I may be the only believer in my family. I may be the more mature one in my small group. Or I may be the more mature one in my family, having believed in the Lord for many years. I may be the one my family looks to as being called by God to help my family members share in the benefits of the gospel. If you are a shepherd, you can pray to the Lord. Help the people I shepherd not to offend God unknowingly, or to blaspheme God, or to disobey God's word and live the mixed faith in this world. I know I have a responsibility. How do I remind them? Ask God to give us the wisdom and influence of a Levite. Now let's look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, God starts to work. In verse 2, the Israelites are to camp each under their own standard with the banners of their families. The standard is a large banner. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. You say, let's get ready to leave. The first thing it tells us is to know our identity, the identity of a son. People over 20 should be mature enough to be able to go to battle. It starts to teach us the strategy of battle. So tell us, how do we battle? The first step in battle is in verse 2. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. That's the first thing. We always think that when we offer ourselves to God, when we battle for God, I can do this, I can do that to battle. I can rise up to rebuke, I rise up to declare. But here the first step in battle is to teach us how to camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. The meaning of camping is to first teach us how to live before God, to first enter into the inner chambers and serving God there. That's the first step in battle. Camping is definitely not about learning some things, participating in some service, or doing some work, engaging in some ministry. What's the first step of camping? It's for me as an individual to first know how to draw near to God. First know how to enter into God's rest. You need to first know how to understand God's will. At that time, the Israelites actually didn't learn this well. They understood they were to camp facing the tent, but they didn't learn why I'm camping facing the tent which is for me to learn how to live in the presence of God. So even though every time they stopped, they camped in the way of facing the tent, but you'll find that their lives were actually not centered on God. Their lives were centered on the environment, on food, on whether things were going smoothly or not. So if their environment is taken away or things don't go smoothly, they immediately complain. That's called not knowing how to camp around the tent. In our lives today, do we camp facing the presence of God, the glory of God, the comfort of God's kingdom? If I learn to camp before God today, 
my life is not dictated by the circumstances of the church. It's Christmas, it's Easter, it's spring break, it's summer vacation. My life is lived according to God's timetable. Knowing how to gather on Sundays, knowing how to live a life of fellowship on Sundays that is consistent with my Monday to Saturday work life and leisure life. This is me camping before the presence of God. Many Christians come to church today with difficulties and pains. But once their difficulties and pains are resolved, they return to their original lives. This is not camping facing the tenant of God. They are camping based on the difficulties and needs, based on the smoothness of their lives, based on the pursuit of worldly fame and fortune rather than camping around the tent of God. Regardless of what happens in my life, God is always at the center. We also need to teach our children how to camp facing the tent of God. So when you guide your children, it's not just about hurry up and do your homework. This week is all about teaching him to do his home study well, do something good, and then come on Sunday, hurry up and read the Bible, hurry up and serve God. You're teaching a faith that is separate from his life. To every day, guide your child to read the Bible every day to really have a quiet time and prayer time before God. When facing difficulties, guide your child to praise together. When your child is sick or has some condition, guide him to say, Child, let's fight together to rebuke their disease, to rebuke the enemy, to rebuke this kind of fear, to rebuke the old weaknesses and worries within us. You are helping your child step by step to camp facing the tent. This is the first step learned in battle. It's definitely not about killing, stealing, or fighting. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they fought against the Amalekites. In that battle, Moses held up his hands on the mountain, and Joshua fought and ran below. But this army was because of God's mercy and protection. But this step they are going to learn a real battle. A real battle is definitely not like before the Amalekites, where we just kill enemies as long as Moses holds up his hands above, and we kill enemies below. Now God is going to teach some a new way to battle, a way to battle that can enter into the promised land of Canaan. It's a new way of setting up battle called camping before the tent of God, living before God. Camping is the first step in battle. If we haven't learned this step, our lives won't be able to reach the promised land that God has prepared for us. So today you can pray for one thing. Lord, is my life a double life? Am I teaching my children a kind of dual faith? Am I leading them to live a life of camping before the tent of God from Monday to Saturday as well as on Sunday? Am I teaching them that everything revolves around God, that learning is for God, talent is for God, relaxation is for God, our participation in activities is for God, all for the sake of the gospel, all for the sake of bringing Christ's salvation to people, for the sake of hunger, for the sake of letting God's name be magnified in me? This is called camping before the tent of God. This is the first step of battle. The second step of battle is from verses 3 to 9, verses 10 to 16, verses 17 to 24, and verses 25 to 31. You will see that they are divided into four large camps to advance in battle. The second step is to, in battle is to march in order. The first large camp is the camp of Judah. The camp of Judah is the descendants of Leah. They are facing the east, they are in the front, and the largest number of people are moving towards the east. Their first step is to walk in order, according to the order of life according to what comes first, praise. As you might remember, Judah means praise. The first order of warfare is called praise, to start our life journey every day with praise. Learn to praise God's guidance in every day's environment. Learn how to praise the boundaries God has set for me. Learn how to praise God for every person, thing, and matter around me that God has allotted to me. Everything I face in my life is according to God's good will to let me gain benefits, to offer Offer thanksgiving and praise in all these circumstances. 
you need to learn this to be able to take the first step in camping. You'll find that after Judah, from verse 10 to verse 16, it begins to talk about the army of Reuben. And this camp of Reuben, you'll find that both before and after them are the Levites. This reminds us that in our lives, when we want to do work, we need to see the service of the Levites before and after us. How do we learn to experience God in our lives? How do we start to care about and see those God has placed in our lives? Our spiritual parents and leaders and also those leading us to serve God? For the tribe of Reuben, with the Levites before and after, how did they protect? How did they care? How did they offer? This is something they have to learn. Today, we're also learning about this. It's not just my breakthrough, my victory, my happiness, but we have responsibility. As I am moving, how do I look after, care about, protect, and support those serving God? Now, in the New Testament, it is true that we are all priests, but in the church, there are some people fully dedicated to serving God, maybe our pastors, ministers, administrative people, full-time ministers, and so on. These people are serving God as a career. The Reubenites need to learn how to care about and care for their needs. The third group from verses 18 to 24 represent the camp of Ephraim. In this camp, you'll notice that they are preceded by the Levites carrying sacred objects. They are the third group, and they also provide support while assisting the tribe of Dan. This group learns one thing. On the one hand, they protect those who serve God by supplying them, and on the other hand, they pay attention to carry for the teams behind them, accompanying guiding, supporting, and helping them. In the order of the church, such people are called comforters. They may be shepherds, they may be intercessors. They can see the needs of people, and they can see those who are often forgotten or left behind, even those who struggle to keep up. How can we help them move forward? This is the third group, a ministry responsibility. The fourth group, the tribe of Dan, is the last tribe, and they learn to guard the rear. The people of this group must be vigilant at the back door of the church, You may be a leader, you may be someone who evangelizes, and is often at the forefront preaching and helping people, but there is a group of people specifically designated to block gaps, constantly pushing and pulling people forward, comforting and training them, helping them, and ensuring they fulfill their destiny. In the end, they are responsible for guarding the rear, and they do so without anxiety or worry. You must understand, with a team of 2 million people, one group starting with Judah, They may stay out in the morning and perhaps by the afternoon, the tribe of Dan is still waiting in the same spot. The journey is long, but can you patiently wait? Will you not be anxious? Will you be willing to help those who lag behind? However, your heart should not feel neglected, thinking, I'm doing these small services, and no one sees the service at the back. Who cares about me? Will I end up at the back? Ask God to give you the faith and the vision to truly see. On one hand, we need to resist the enemies attacking our weaknesses, injuries, and slowness, as well as those who cannot keep up with the service or teachings of the church. We need to support, nurture, help, care for, and help them succeed. Another thing we need to do is be vigilant and guard the church, because the enemy often attacks and harms the church through these weak and injured and often offended individuals. Therefore, those at the back, the last group of people, must also know that in the process of marching forward, the tribe of Dan is crucial. Sometimes we may often be the ones blocking the gaps. Whether we are at the forefront with the Levites pulling people forward or at the back blocking the gaps, we need to know our position and role in this team. Today you can pray, Lord, in this team, where am I positioned? Is the church moving forward and am I closely following always? Am I someone who leads with praise, faith, and guidance? Do I understand and see God's guidance clearly? 
or am I randomly giving orders? Am I following the cloud? Additionally, can I often think of those who serve God? Will I protect them, care for them, and accompany them? Can I often pull people forward, and can I block the gaps? Apart from being vigilant and resisting the attacks of the enemy against the latter, sometimes injured people may have grievances against the church, misunderstandings, or anger. Sometimes their feelings are not understood by anyone, so they may express complaints. Can we approach them with love, patience, and even compassion, helping them catch up? You know this has great life to shepherd them, accompany them. Today, where am I positioned? If you envy walking at the forefront leading the first group, that's great. Perhaps you are in the second group taking care of and providing for people. Your servants may go unnoticed, but you are protecting the sacred things, protecting the Levites, faithfully interceding for others. Maybe you are often pulling people along, encouraging them, making calls, sending messages, saying, Come on, don't give up. Perhaps you are often spreading messages, encouraging people to join the church's actions, understand the church's guidance. Perhaps you're in the last group, always telling everyone to not lose heart, to not to be discouraged, not to be despondent, often explaining misunderstandings, shepherding people, helping them, accompanying them, helping them rise from weakness, injury, pain, and depression, and enabling them to catch up with the team again. Regardless of your position, you are very important. Today, pray, Lord, help me. In Numbers chapters 2, guide and enlighten me. I know I'm not an idle person, nor am I someone who stands still. I'm not someone who does nothing. I'm someone who can keep up with the team, who understands the first step of the battle strategy. My life is about camping peacefully towards your tent. Secondly, I need to know whether I'm moving forward in the order. God, you placed me in a specific position, and that position is my banner. I shouldn't wander off. I shouldn't run around. Do I envy certain positions or dislike others? Do I choose what I want? I need to clearly pray, Lord, where have you placed me? I'll be content with this position and shepherd well, intercede well, preach the gospel well, teach well, encourage well, care well, and accompany well. Every position is within the ranks of God's army. You must believe that God calls us and every position is important. Verses 32 to 34 say that the Israelites were numbered 603,550. But verses 33 to 34 say that the Levites were not numbered. Why? Verses 32 to 34 reveal that after numbering so many, they were about to set out. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they camped by the standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan according to his father's house. They were ready to depart. During the Exodus, when the people arrived at Mount Sinai, there were still many people. Moses was busy all day dealing with the people's matters, and Jephthah gave him advice. What you are doing is not good. Let me give you some advice. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You'll notice that God did not use this strategy. What people thought was urgent, God might not have considered urgent at all, because God wanted to finish talking about the Levitical priesthood first. At the foot of Mount Sinai, there were many problems among the people. They believed that their food, water, and daily life in the wilderness were very important. So they clashed with Moses over various issues that they thought needed immediate resolution. However, you'll notice that God did not resolve it immediately. Rather, he had Moses deal with them one by one. You must have patience and wait until the Leviticus is finished, teaching them how to live before God. 
Numbers teaches us how to live peacefully, how to live a life of battle, how to live in order. God wants to teach us to follow His order. Your problems and minds will naturally be solved in the process. God's strategy is not about appointing these officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, but about every person walking in the right position. And you'll see that the resulting formation is like a cross. Four main large groups, camping toward tent in their daily life. You'll see why God doesn't prioritize answering our problems right away like Jethro. God wants his people to learn how to camp before the presence of God, who know his order of moving forward. Then later, in chapters 3-6, to God will teach about the Levites and how they are to carry the Ark of the Covenant and telling them even more details about how they are to move forward. Later in 7-9, to he tells them how to deal with the problems. You need to understand God's order and the way he does things. Today the church talks about God's kingdom and his ways. It seems to be so distanced from my life. What about my sickness, finances, relationships, marriage, family relationships, my children's work, my future? We ask God, deal with this and resolve this problem quickly. When are you going to deal with it? We seem to want an immediate resolution of the problem. Jethro's advice was to deal with these problems, but this is not God's method. What is his method? He wants us to camp before the tent of meeting, to know how to live before God. When he, then he talks about his order. First, you need to know what position God has placed you in. Know your genealogy, your identity, to mature to 20 and above, the different ways God has worked and moved in our lives. I want to mature and grow up to be able to fight. My name is counted and I am able to fight. I know the order of how we are able to move, which path to take. Then in chapter 7 to 9, God begins to resolve our problems. Don't assume that today my problems are very serious and God isn't helping me to resolve them, that God doesn't love me or care about me. God doesn't prioritize resolving our problems first. God wants us to know if we can walk on the right path of life first. Then you will find that many problems will be resolved as you grow, mature, and learn to battle. Because if God takes away the problems, our lives will mature and grow. Instead, God helps us mature and grow, fight battles, praise before God, provide for others, protect others, lock and fill up the gaps, support others, and enable others to fulfill their destinies. All the difficulties, illnesses, troubles, weaknesses, and doubts in our lives are resolved in the process of growth, and they are completely resolved. This is the book of Numbers, the glorious path that God wants to lead us on. Amen. Dear families, we hope that you enjoy the Bible race as much as we do. If you are willing to volunteer to translate the original Chinese teaching into English or assist with video editing, please email service at 360sunrise.com. Thank you.